Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading is from Hebrews 5, 7 to 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 24b through 34. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She'd endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's wonderful to see you all again. And as you know, if you've been watching, we're doing a sermon series during the summer called Sans Pareil Without Equal. When someone or something is said to be sans pareil, it means they are literally the best in the world at what they do, or that they're a class above all the rest. Each week during the series, we're looking at two people who are the best in their particular field, and we're not only examining their success, but we're also examining the qualities and characteristics they have that allow them to rise to the top. And then we're looking at those qualities and characteristics through a biblical lens, and we're asking the question, how does God want us to use those qualities and characteristics to further our walk as Christians and to be able to create God's kingdom here on earth? Last week, we talked about two of the greatest tech giants of all time. This week, we're talking about two of the greatest artists to ever walk the face of the earth, Michelangelo and Frida Kahlo. Let's begin with Michelangelo, who was an artist who lived during the Italian Renaissance. Michelangelo was a sculptor, a painter, an architect, and a poet. His artistic ability was of such a high order that many scholars have deemed him the greatest artist in the history of humanity. Although he was a painter, and we know him for painting the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican, and Rome, his primary ability was in stone sculpture. In fact, Michelangelo defined the art of sculpting during the Renaissance, creating works of such unparalleled beauty that they are likely never to be surpassed. Michelangelo was born on March 6, 1475, in Caprese, near Arezzo, Tuscany. His 
father was a banker who had ties to the most powerful banking clan in Florence at the time, the Medici's. Lorenzo de' Medici, during this period, was the de facto leader of Florence. If you want to get a sense of who Lorenzo de' Medici was and how he operated, you just have to watch the movie The Godfather. That's essentially how he worked. He ruled Florence with an iron fist, but at the same time, he was a great patron of the arts. He used his wealth to support the arts, and he founded a school called the Medici Academy. Now, the Medici Academy, it trained young students in art, and it would take the best students from Florence and bring them in and try to make more Leonardo da Vinci's and Michelangelo's. And Michelangelo, he trained there. That is where he got his training in the art of sculpting. At the age of 15, he began his apprenticeship to go through and learn sculpting, and that's when he began working on his first sculptures. The first sculpture he ever created was known as Madonna on the Steps, and the second one that he created was called the Battle of the Centaurs. It took him two years to complete both of these, and it's hard to believe that a 15-year-old boy could create something so beautiful, and in fact, what he was able to achieve with Battle of the Centaurs was something that nobody had ever achieved before up until this point. It was quite revolutionary, and as you can see from looking at it, he was able to capture the fluid movement of the human body, which no one had been able to do up until that point with sculpture. Now, what's interesting is that what he was able to achieve in Battle of the Centaurs would seem simplistic to what he was able to achieve a little bit later on when he would start sculpting some of his greater works. So in 1498, the French Cardinal Jean de Belairs, he commissioned Michelangelo to create a statue for his grave. And this statue became known as the Pieta. Now the Pieta, as you can see, it portrays the crucified Christ laying across the lap of his mother Mary. This never happened in the Bible. This is never portrayed in the Bible. But it was very common among works of art at that time. And so when the Pieta was unveiled, it was was immediately hailed as the greatest sculpture ever to be created by human hands. And as you can see from it, it is truly remarkable. The Renaissance artist Giorgio Vasari once said of the Pieta, it is certainly a miracle that a formless block of stone could ever have been reduced to a perfection that nature is scarcely able to create in the flesh. The Pieta made Michelangelo a household name. And the public marveled at his ability to take a mere stone and to transform it into a masterpiece. And he was once asked how he was able to create these magnificent works of art. And his response was very interesting. This is what he said. The best artist has that thought alone which is contained within the marble shell. The sculptor's hand can only break the spell to free the figures slumbering in the stone. In other words, the form of the sculpture is already contained within the stone. From Michelangelo's perspective, the artist is not there to impose his idea on the stone, but rather to release the sculpture that already lies within. And I find this to be a fascinating idea, this idea that the sculpture is already in the stone 
block. It's almost as if Michelangelo believes that the sculpture itself is pre-existent and that the purpose of the artist is to release the splendor that lies within. And this is perhaps why Michelangelo would go out on the expeditions to get the marble himself. You know, it's not like today where we can order marble from a quarry and they'll have it shipped to us via freight. Back then, he had to go literally to the mountain and extract the marble to bring it back to his workshop. These marble blocks could weigh hundreds, sometimes thousands of pounds, and they had to create the roads to get them there. So if you think of a statue like the David, the David is an enormously tall statue. If you think about the block that he had to remove in order to get that back to his workshop, it would have been an extraordinary feat to get it there. But it was worth all of the time because if you have ever seen any of his works, they are literally flawless. His ability to create sculpture is the closest thing to perfection that you will find in the world of art. I have had the privilege of being able to see some of Michelangelo's statues in person and it is the absolute height of human artistic expression. And yet what is so amazing about Michelangelo's artwork is that it contrasts greatly with his personal life. These two things are not the same. His artwork was near perfection, but his personal life was the absolute opposite of that. So when you look at Michelangelo's personal life, he was a man who lived in absolute squalor. He was not a materialistic person at all. He didn't care about those things. He had deplorable hygiene. He would only bathe every so often. And he would sleep in his work clothes and in his work boots. He rarely took them off. On top of all of this, he had a very abrasive personality. He didn't like being around other people, so he was a recluse. It is likely that he never had any romantic relationships during his lifetime, and so he put all of his energy, whether it be mental, physical, or emotional, into his artwork, and he was able to achieve a level of perfection that he was striving for because he put all of his energy into that. Now, when you compare somebody like my, Michelangelo to Frida Kahlo, we're talking about two very different kinds of works of art. Frida Kahlo, she was a Mexican artist who was born in 1907. Her father was a German man of Hungarian descent and a Mexican woman who was born of a Native American and Spanish descent. And these two people came together to create the life that she knew. Her father, Guillermo Kahlo, he was a famous photographer who went around and did portraits of various people around Mexico. And her first introduction to art was actually through her father. She would go with her father into his studio and she would watch how he would set everything up. And this is how she gained a real eye for detail. And her father, because he was so sought after, he would get to photograph people from literally all over Mexico. And so here is a famous picture that he took, a portrait of President Porfirio Diaz, who was the president of Mexico for 31 years. Many people would seek him out, and he did. He was able to create these pictures with immaculate detail in them. But the subject who Guillermo liked to photograph the most was himself. He took so many different portraits of himself that some scholars have said that he may be the author of the selfie. And I tell you this because it's an interesting idiosyncrasy of who he was, but it also had a big influence on Frida's later artwork. So 
Frida, she enjoyed art, and she actually learned how to be an artist, to draw from a friend of her father's, a man named Fernando Fernandez, who was a printmaker. He taught her a lot of the design that she would use later on in her life. And by the time she was a late teenager, he was so impressed with her work that he wanted to take her on as an engraving apprentice. But she didn't really want to do this as her full-time job. She wasn't She wasn't wanting to do art as her career. Instead, she wanted to study science. And so she ended up enrolling in the National Preparatory School, which is located in Mexico City in 1922. And there she was studying medicine. But unfortunately, her scientific aspirations came to an end in 1925. She was in a bus in Mexico City. She was traveling, and that bus collided with a trolley. And this was a truly horrific accident. She almost died in it. She broke her spine. She ended up breaking her collarbone, her rib cage. She broke her right leg, and she smashed her right foot. And on top of all of that, a metal bar from the bus pierced her abdomen and went through her uterus. And so as a result, she ended up having trouble conceiving children, which she desperately wanted later on in her life. As she was recovering from this accident, it took about three months of her being in the hospital and several surgeries, she took up painting as a way to deal with her pain. Now, the painting that she started taking on, she took inspiration from certain Renaissance artists such as Botticelli and Bronzino, and she also took inspiration from modern artists such as Picasso. Her primary subject matter was herself. Like her father, who took many selfie photographs, she did many self-portraits. And this was very interesting because she would do them in the style of her father's selfie photographs. And as you can see from this photo right here, she created a special easel that allowed her to be able to paint while she was recovering in bed. And she used her painting as a means to explore issues of existence and identity. In one of her first works that you can see right here, this is a self-portrait that is entitled Self-Portrait Wearing a Velvet Dress. This was painted in 1926, one year after her accident. And as you can see, she's waist high in this, and the background is these rolling waves. It looks very dreamy and surrealistic. Now, when you look at this, you can see that she is not necessarily going to be near her refined style, which she will get to later on in her life, but what she is able to capture is her stoic gaze, which will become emblematic of all of her self-portraits. And in fact, she would end up painting so many self-portraits during her lifetime that she would be accused by some critics of being too self-absorbed. And her response to this, I think, is very interesting. She would say, the reason that I paint myself is because I am so often alone and because I am the subject I know best. Eventually, she fell in love and married the famous artist Diego Rivera. The two of them together became quite a team, and Diego, right after their marriage, got several commissions to come to the United States in order to paint different murals. And one of the places where he got an opportunity to paint was actually in Detroit, at the Detroit Institute of Arts Museum. If you've never been there before, I would highly recommend going to that museum. It's worth 
worth the trip to Detroit just to see his murals. And if you don't want to go see the murals, you can go visit TC's dad because, of course, that is the subject of many of his sermons. And going there and visiting his dad is totally worthwhile. So you can go for either of those things. Now, while Diego was there and he was painting all of these murals, he was working with his wife on creating a family. And unfortunately, she had two miscarriages in this time, and this was devastating to her. And on top of all of this, she also received word that her mother had passed away. Now, when she, when she was dealing with all of the pain and grief, this caused her to create one of her most famous works. It's the work that set her up to be one of the most famous artists and one of the most important artists of the 21st century. And it was from 1932. It was called Henry Ford Hospital. And it was a painting that portrayed her laying on a hospital bed, hemorrhaging amidst a barren landscape. Now, this portrait of her being on a hospital bed. This is very important. Aside from the miscarriages, she would have some 38 surgeries during her lifetime that would try to attempt to alleviate the pain that she was dealing with from that trolley accident, and they were not able to do so. She used her art as a way to express her pain, and in fact, it became her habit that every time she was troubled, she would create a self-portrait. And these self-portraits that she would create of herself, these were unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. They were raw and revealing to the point where many people found them to be shocking. She would use these vivid, bright colors, but those colors would contrast with the often grotesque and graphic material that she was portraying. Now, many of her artist friends would say of her that she was a surrealist, but she disagreed with this, and this is what she said when she was confronted with this. She said, they thought I was a surrealist, but I wasn't. I never painted dreams, I painted my own reality. For instance, when Frida divorced her husband in 1939 for his infidelities. She ended up painting her most famous work called The Two Fridas. The Two Fridas, as you can see, depicts twin depictions of herself. They are sitting apart from each other. It's two sides to Frida, and literally she is holding her heart in her hand because the divorce from her husband, Diego Rivera, absolutely crushed her. And this is something that is really important about her work, is that she was willing to show the difficulty that she was dealing with in her life in a way that nobody had truly ever done before. She was willing to show the blemishes of her life. In fact, she would accentuate those blemishes. So if you look at a lot of her self-portraits, you can see her trademark unibrow, and she would refuse to wax her lips. Frida was unabashedly herself, and she didn't care what other people thought, and this would serve her well throughout her career. So, for example, she once went to Paris for an art show, and she had this vivacious style that really caught the eye of a lot of people because she would wear these vibrantly colored indigenous dresses from her mother's home village. And this caught the eye of Vogue magazine, and she ended up on the cover of Vogue at one point in time. And so she became this international symbol for living life to the fullest. Frida was a feminist icon. She was somebody who was way ahead of her time. At a time when women were expected to be diminutive and deferential to men, she went against the grain. Her favorite 
quote was, long live life. She lived life according to her own rules, and she was not shying away from expressing her pain, her frustration, and her passion. She became an example of female empowerment to women all over the world. And because of this, she was somebody who women looked to as an example of how to live life to the fullest and to be able to take hold of your own destiny. Now the question is, what do these two artists have to teach us about living our lives as a Christian? And as you might expect, I believe that there's a lot that they have to teach us. So when we examine our worship of Jesus, what's interesting is that there's two different aspects of our worship to Jesus that is contained in the artwork of these two individuals. So on the one hand, we tend to think of Jesus as being this perfect person who is free of sin. And so when we look at the scripture from Hebrews, this is very indicative of that. Let's take a look at that scripture. Having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now this is very much like the art of Michelangelo, which is flawless. Many of us conceive of God very similarly to much of Michelangelo's sculptures. So when we think of the Pieta or the David, that is how we think of God. Something where you just sit there and you would look at it in awe and marvel at its beauty. In the same way, we tend to think of Jesus in this way. So he is this perfect person who, if we were in his presence, we would have no option but to bow down and worship and awe. On the other hand, though, the Gospels portray Jesus as being willing to get into the messiness of human life. He's willing to enter into the pain and agony of human existence. And this is what we see from our Gospel reading this morning from Mark. So in that story with the woman who is suffering from the hemorrhage, he's willing to be there with her. Now, this woman more than likely was suffering from menorrhagia, which is a disease that some women have where they have abnormal or sometimes constant menstrual flow from their menstrual cycle, which is really, really challenging to get through. So like Frida, this woman is dealing with a lot of pain and she's looking for relief. Now Jesus in this situation is very much like a Frida Kahlo self-portrait. He doesn't shy away from her pain. He doesn't say, well, I'm too perfect and I don't really want to deal with the situation here, so just get away from me. No, he's willing to engage with this woman. He's willing to enter into her agony and pain and help her to find relief. And in this way, what this story demonstrates to us is that Jesus understands that human existence is full of pain and suffering. He understands that our human lives are far from perfect. And this is something that is really interesting about the Christian faith. It's something that we struggle with. There's this tension between Jesus being this perfect person and him being able to understand the imperfection of what we deal with as human beings. These are really conflicting attributes that we talk about and it leads to this question of if he is this perfect person, can he truly understand what it means for us as human beings to lead this imperfect life? And indeed, these questions, they spill over into the way that 
we as Christians think of ourselves. So many Christians believe that God expects our lives as Christians to resemble one of Michelangelo's statues, that it needs to be flawless and perfect. And so as a result, we put ourselves to these very high standards that seem just incapable of us being able to achieve them. But the truth is, is that our lives are much less like a Michelangelo sculpture and much more like a Frida Kahlo painting. Almost all of us have been through at least one trolley crash in our lives. Some of us have been through multiple trolley crashes in our lives. And the fact is, when you're trying to pick up the pieces from that trolley crash, whatever it is that you've been through, it's really hard to do. Forget perfection. Most of us are just trying to figure out a way forward to get through our lives. And what's interesting is that both of these artists, Frida Kahlo and Michelangelo, they give us a way forward. So Frida Kahlo, what she teaches us is that we need to look in the mirror, that we need to be willing to examine ourselves, that we need to be willing to look at all the blemishes we have, the unibrow, the scars, the various things that we've been through, the choices that we've made, the things that make us good and bad in our lives. The fact is that many of us are unwilling to do this. When we look in the mirror, we tend to see a very compartmentalized version of ourselves. We don't see the whole picture, we just see the parts of ourselves that we want to see. But when you can Take a look at the whole picture. And this is what Frida does with these self-portraits. She sees herself for who she is in this moment, and she's willing to accept that person. And that's really important in all of this. We have to be willing to accept the person who is looking back at us. Because if we cannot accept all of those things, the good and the bad, then we cannot change. Because it is through acceptance that we are able to see our weaknesses, to see the places where we need to grow, to be able to enter into the pain that we've dealt with so that we can alleviate it, so that we can reform the person who we are. And this is where Michelangelo comes into play. So Michelangelo gives us something to strive for. Michelangelo gives us a vision of what we could become. So if our goal is to examine ourselves and then to become this new person, then we need to think of ourselves in the same way that Michelangelo thought of himself, as a sculptor. Now sculptors, the tools they use, they use a chisel and hammer. And you have to know when to hit hard to lop off a big piece of stone and you have to know when to back off. And so for us, when we are trying to reform ourselves, we have to figure that out. When do we need to release something from ourselves so that we can become this person who we wanna be, and when do we need to back off? Now the goal is not perfection. That's not what I'm trying to say. We don't need to look like one of his statues, but we need to do what he did to create those statues, which is that we need to rid ourselves of the baggage that is holding us down. And I really believe that for me, the important thing here is that these two artists, they represent aspects of the person of Jesus, the person who Jesus is. So when you look at their art, you see who Jesus is, this man who is honest and sincere, but yet at the same time inspiring us to become our best selves. And that is my prayer for you this morning. My prayer for you is that you would be willing to look at yourself in the mirror, to see all the blemishes, to see all the things that you've done wrong, to examine those things, but then at the same time that you would have the courage to become your own sculptor, that you would be able to knock away the stone that is really weighing you down, 
so that you can break the mold and become that person who God intended you to be so that you can reach your potential. Because what we all want to do is we all want to live in to Frida Kahlo's motto, long live life. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.